You know, uh, a contradiction is a statement that conflicts with itself or facts. You know, you might have heard of some of these famous contradictions uh, that some people might have said before. Uh, the more you learn, the more you realize how much little you know. Uh, maybe you've heard this one. The only certainty is that nothing is ever certain. The more available something is, the less you want it. The more you try to keep one close, the further you push them away. The more connected we get, the more isolated we feel. Uh, isn't that uh, something that's true in today's age, right? The more connected we get through uh, social media and the internet, really the more isolated uh, we feel. Or, or maybe you've heard this one, the only constant is change. Again, these facts, the, these statements uh, seem almost um, uh, that they conflict with one, one another. But again, the, these are some famous contradictions. You know, the, the Bible, Holy Scripture, never contradicts itself, no matter uh, what some may say, what some may prove uh, or claim to prove. There are, of course, there are passages within Scripture uh, that if taken at face value, you know, you don't uh, dig into the text or, or, or research uh, what it's saying, it could cause someone to claim uh, that. Uh, for instance, here I want to show you a, a rather uh, seeming Bible contradiction. Now, this has nothing to do uh, with uh, salvation. This has nothing to do uh, with any of that. But, but notice these verses here uh, up on the board. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Paul writes, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. He said in chapter 14, verse 20, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. And then he says in chapter 16, verse 13, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. So we see there's some of these passages here in 1 Corinthians that uh, Paul is saying, you know, don't act like a child. But, but notice Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 18. And again, these are what we're going to focus on this evening, uh, starting in verse 1 uh, through 4. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child... He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Right? So, so we, we put these uh, passages together and we ask ourselves, well, which is it? Do I need to be like a child or not like a child? Which is it? Again, there, there are certain aspects of, of children that are worthy of a Christian to imitate, but then there are those that are not. You know, there's a difference between if I said you're acting childlike or if you're acting childish. Right? There's a difference. There's a distinction between those two. In Matthew chapter 19, if you want to look over in one uh, chapter uh, later, in Matthew chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 13, then some children were brought to him, being Jesus, so that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed 
from there. You know, and so we see throughout uh, Scripture, especially in Matthew chapter 18 and 19 and 20, that Jesus is saying, you know, let the children come to me. You need to be like children in order to obtain eternal life. You know, there, there was a movie that came out a while ago. Maybe you saw it. Maybe you didn't. It was called Benjamin Button. You remember this movie? And the, basically the plot, the premise to this, this movie was an individual who uh, he started at an old age and he was basically uh, aging backwards uh, until he you know, became a, a child. Is that what Jesus is asking us here in Matthew chapter 18, that we need to become uh, like children? Uh, well, of course not. He, he's not talking that we literally need to become uh, like a child, but that we should strive to retain or regain uh, those characteristics that we once had as children. We're going to talk about some of those here this evening. Uh, I know this isn't uh, uh, an exhausted list, but uh, some of those, uh, those characteristics that we see in, in children that, that we should uh, ascribe to have in our Christian lives, uh, one of those, of course, uh, within the context of this passage is humbleness, that Christians are to be humble. You know, the, the disciples uh, in Matthew chapter 18, they wanted to know which one of them was going to be the greatest. This is an argument that we see throughout the scriptures uh, of the disciples during the time of Jesus of who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, they're stuck on this idea that, that Jesus' kingdom is this physical kingdom, uh, that he's going to lead them uh, over the Roman government, overthrow that. And, and they want to know, you know, where are we going to be in, in, that, in your administration? You know, it's much like when a president comes into power, you know, he sort of chooses his friends to, you know, be secretary of defense and secretary of state and all these different uh, positions. The disciples wanted to know, uh, who's going to be the greatest? What position am I going to get at that time? But again, they, they could not understand that this kingdom was not going to be a physical, real kingdom, but that it was going to be a spiritual kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 20, if you're still there around in Matthew 19 and Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. Again, we see this come up again. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit on your right and on your left. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. You are, are you able to drink the cup which I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. The mother of the sons of Zebedee, the apostle James and the apostle John, their mother went to Jesus and said, let it be that my two sons are going to sit on your left and right. You know, give them that power in your kingdom. Put them as one of your greatest. And of course, we see that the disciples were quite upset that they asked of this. But back in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus, you know, he, he uses a child as an object lesson. He has a child come to him, sit on his lap, and he says, unless you are converted or unless you turn, uh, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, he says. You know, you need to turn from your inflated egos. Again, become like this child. Humble yourselves like this child. Are you familiar with Cassius Clay? Uh, maybe you know him better as Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest boxers ever to have uh, boxed. Um, but if you know about his uh, history, his background, he wasn't uh, very humble in, in, in the sport. 
And it was said that just before a takeoff of an airplane flight at one time, the stewardess reminded Muhammad Ali to fasten his seatbelt, in which he said to the woman, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Well, then the stewardess equipped right back and said, well, Superman don't need no airplane either. We, as Christians, are told to be humble, and children are some of the most humble individuals we know. They have an absolute faith. They have this absence of pride, uh, the tendency to forgive easily. You know, they don't classify themselves as great and significant. In fact, in that day, in the life of Jesus, you know, children were near the bottom of the social scale. Uh, this would have been a shock for the apostles to hear Jesus teach us that, that they need to become his children. Uh, because uh, today, you know, children, we often serve first. But in that day, they, they were generally the last to be served. But of course, you know, Jesus says within these verses, he says, many who are first will be last and the last first. Right? Uh, you need to be humble. He's teaching them. You know, maybe this, this statement I'm about to give you is another contradiction. But to be humble, we need to remember that the way up is the way down. The way up to heaven is the way down, to be humble, to lower uh, yourself. Uh, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, that therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. And of course, uh, there are many uh, individuals uh, uh, who need to learn humility. You know, the, the Bible actually has a lot to say about the preacher uh, to be a humble individual. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul is writing, uh, and he says, you know, who is Apollos? Or who is Paul? You know, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Right? Uh, in, Cor- in Corinth, uh, there were these uh, preachers that, that uh, apparently might have been putting themselves up above God. But, but Paul is uh, telling the individuals there, you know, don't put these preachers up on a pedestal, Apollos or Paul or, or Peter. Because they're just watering, they're just planting, but it's God who causes the growth. He says, neither of the one who plants or waters, it, it's anything, they're, they're nothing, but it's God who causes the growth. You know, we talked this morning in our Bible class about the eldership a little bit, and how in First Peter chapter 5, verse 3, uh, the Bible talks about there how the elders are not to lord over uh, the congregation, over the flock. Again, they are to be humble. But uh, the Bible, of course, teaches that all members uh, of the body should be humble. Romans 12, verse 3 says, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to. If you, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 14 and notice this parable that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 8. Uh, Jesus apparently is at a, a dinner party. And uh, backing up to verse 7, it says that uh, as he begins speaking a parable to the invited guests, he noticed how they had... Uh, been picking out the places of honor at the table. So Jesus is, is watching uh, the Jews who are at this party, you know, picking out these, these places of honor at, at the dinner tables. And Jesus breaks into this parable and he tells them, starting in verse 8, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher than you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You notice that what Jesus says when you go to a, a party or you know, a feast? You know, don't take the place of honor because that, that seat might be reserved for someone and you're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be humbled when they have to say, listen, you're going to have to move over here. But he says when you go to that, you know, go and sit in the lowest place so that when uh, the, the host of the party comes to you and says, you know, friend, why don't you come sit over here? Uh, you're going to... Uh, you know, you're, you're not going to be humbled, he says. Uh, you're going to actually uh, be, be um, uh, taking a place of honor. Again, there was a story of a farmer who uh, he went with his son into the wheat field to see if it was ready for harvest. And the father said, or, excuse me, the boy said to his father, he exclaimed, uh, you see how straight these, these stems hold up their heads? You know, these must be the best ones. These must be the best ones in this wheat field. Those that hang their heads down, I'm sure they can't be good for anything. But then the farmer plucked a stalk of each and said, see here, child, the stalk that stood so high, so straight is lightheaded and it's almost good for nothing. While that one that was hung its head so modestly, it's full of the most beautiful grain. And that's just like that child in this illustration, like you and I, that's how we think of things in this world. It must be the biggest things uh, or the best looking things uh, there to get the glory. But remember what Jesus said about himself in Matthew 20, verse 28. He said he came to serve, not to be served. Again, children are humble and God wants Christians to be humble. That's one of the characteristics of a child uh, that we notice here. Another one uh, that we notice is that children are loving. First uh, John, I'm going to read this scripture. At this point, we're not going to spend too much time on, but First John chapter 3, starting in verse 17, listen to what the apostle writes here. He says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Doesn't that sound just like a little child? Doesn't that sound uh, uh, wanting to show love, uh, wanting to give? You remember uh, growing up, uh, Santa's secret workshop, you know, at school, you know, you, you send your kids to school or maybe you, or maybe you recall the time that you did, uh, with, you know, with a couple of dollars and you go in and this is probably the first time that you've gone shopping by yourself. Uh, and you're going to go out and pick out something for your parents, and it's going to be great. And, you know, and again, it's only costing a couple of bucks, but to you, these items are priceless. Right? You're picking these out for them. Uh, you're doing it on your own, and you're so proud to be able to purchase something maybe for the first time. Right? Of course, God said, or Jesus said in Acts 20, verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, that, that's the child's nature, uh, to want to give. Stop looking out for yourselves, Jesus said to his disciples. Give, love, children are loving. And again, God wants Christians to be loving. That's why he used that child as an object lesson. Another aspect is that children are teachable. They're eager to learn. You know, children are like sponges. Uh, there was a six-year-old uh, Angie and her, her four-year-old brother Joel. They were sitting together in church, and Joel was um, giggling a little bit and talking out loud and sort of disturbed Angie. And so she finally had it and said, you, you know, you're not supposed to talk uh, out loud in church. 
Well, why? He says, why? Who's going to stop me? Joel asked. And Angie pointed to the back of the church and said, you see those two men standing at the door? They're hushers. You see, from the mouth of babes. You know, we often say that from the mouth of babes. You know, we are blessed here to have so many uh, Bible class teachers for our youth. You know, uh, uh, one of the things that, you know, I've experienced, especially in the past two or three years of traveling, uh, of meeting congregations, you know, filling in the pulpits during the preaching school. You know, there were a lot of times where we'd show up at a congregation and someone would meet us at a door and was like, wow, you know, you guys have children. And they would have to scramble and find someone to teach the, the children's Bible class. They'd have to put a lesson together. Uh, they weren't used to having children attend, you know. And I'm so thankful that uh, this congregation here is full of children. And we have such great Bible class teachers who are dedicated and prepared. And I think if you talk to them, many will tell you that, you know, these children love to learn. They love to be in the Bible class setting, uh, learning. Uh, they're going to ask tons of questions. Uh, uh, why is that? You know, why does that? And, and we need to capitalize on that as parents. You know, ask them about the lesson uh, afterwards as you're driving home. Capitalize on that. Uh, notice uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, uh, listen to what Peter has to say here. He says, Therefore, putting aside all malice, and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that, it, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You know, there's a lot of times within Scripture that, that, that milk is used as a reference. And it's usually it's connected with meat. You know, as the Bible says that we need to stop drinking milk and we need to get to the meat of the word. But, but here, uh, Peter is using milk in, in a good sense. Uh, he says, um, says to the Christians that you need to crave with the kind of energy a hungry infant has for its bottle, for its milk, uh, the, the word of God. Uh, you need to be teachable. Uh, you need to be eager to learn. You know, you need milk to grow physically and you need spiritual milk to grow spiritually. And then he says, when we learn and taste uh, of how gracious the Lord is, we're going to want more and more and more and more. Again, Jesus says to his disciples back in Matthew chapter 18, stop being so hard headed. You know, be teachable like like these children. You know, if we don't teach our children to follow Christ, you know, the world is going to teach them not to. And again, I'm so very thankful for those uh, who step up and teach our children uh, in the Bible class settings here. And children are teachable. And God, of course, again, wants Christians to be teachable. Another aspect of, of children is they're dependent. Okay? Children, of course, they're dependent on others. Uh, they can't communicate intelligently, of course, when they're hungry, uh, when they need a diaper change, or, or when they're cold or warm. And so what do they do? They cry. They wail, and some of them can wail with the best of them. The Christians, uh, of course, just like a child is dependent on their parents or whoever is watching them, Christians are dependent on God for their salvation. And we kind of talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago in the, in the lesson about prayer in Luke chapter 18, how Jesus said that we ought to pray often and not lose heart. You know, we need to ask God in prayer to help us in our studies, to help us in our personal work as we reach out to others, ask us to be more bold. 
You know, the the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, you remember this parable where Jesus was talking about how this farmer was having this great and very productive year. And because of that, he needed somewhere to store his crops. And so he built these great barns, these big and large barns, and he put his crops in there and he plans to live on those crops for years and years to come. But of course, Uh, He wasn't dependent upon God. He was dependent on his own power. And we know that that the Bible says that that very night, uh, the Lord came to him and told him that his soul was required of him. And he died that very moment. He wasn't dependent on God at all in his life. And the man, uh, we're told, who stores up treasures for himself isn't rich towards God. Again, another aspect of being a Christian, one who can inherit the internal eternal life, as Jesus tells us here in Matthew chapter 18, is because children are dependent. And we, too, must be dependent on the Lord. The last point I want to make is that children are sinless. You know, ch- children are pure. They live pure and sinless lives. They speak truth until basically they're, they're taught otherwise to do so. But they have no moral culpability or responsibility. And it, it's a shame that there are those in the religious world that teach uh, original sin. And that might be a lesson for another time. Uh, but basically the premise of original sin is that we are born hereditarily, totally depraved. That we inherited the sin of Adam, and that just kept getting passed down uh, from one generation to the next to the next. And that's why the, these denominations practice you know, infant baptism, uh, because they believe that that child, that baby, uh, is depraved, that it's sinful, and that it needs its sins washed away. But surely uh, the Lord here in Matthew chapter 18 is not suggesting that we, that we emulate totally uh, corrupt and depraved sinners. But he's telling us here that we need to be like children, pure and sinless. Of course, children are without sin. We don't inherit it. We can look at a couple of scriptures uh, within uh, the Bible that... that talks about this. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 is probably the most uh, famous one where Ezekiel the prophet says, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to him and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. Another prophet, Isaiah in chapter 7, spoke, out, spoke of this as well. When he was speaking in ch- chapter 7 verse 14 about how uh, there would be this virgin who would give, uh, give birth to a Savior, and his name was to be Emmanuel. And then the following verses talked about how he will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. You notice Isaiah says the same thing, uh, the, that you have a choice in this life. You can either choose to do wrong or choose to do right. It's not inherently uh, passed down from generation to generation. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. You know, Paul's saying, like all babies, I was born pure and, and holy. Uh, I was alive. I was totally ignorant of the law. Um, but then when the commandment came, when I was taught the law, I developed a moral consciousness and became accountable to God. Uh, we often refer to this as the age of accountability. And again, that, that'll be a lesson for another time, and we don't have time to go into that. 
But children, again, are sinless. The Bible teaches that children are sinless. And again, that is another aspect as to why uh, Jesus compares uh, those who will enter the kingdom of heaven like a child. Uh, Unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So uh, uh, this evening, if you're looking for a model or an example of one fit for heaven, look no further than a little child. Someone once said, uh, there will be no old people in heaven. And maybe if I were to say that at the beginning of this lesson before we got in there, that might not made as much sense. But as we've discovered in Matthew chapter 18, in a sense, uh, that's right. Because uh, Jesus says that to, uh, to obtain eternal life, that we must become like children. And by nature, there are certain qualities, childlike qualities that God wants us to have. Again, these aren't uh, all that exist, but these are the ones that we brought up this evening, that we need to be humble, humble Christians. We need to be loving Christians. We need to be eager to learn, dependent, and of course, sinless. Not that the Christian can be sinless. We know the Bible tells us in 1 John uh, that we make God out to be a liar if we say that we are sinless. But uh, we strive each and every day to be complete, to be mature. Let us, this evening, as we conclude this lesson, let us be less childish in our Christian faith and be more childlike. This evening, as we offer the invitation, uh, if we can help you in any way um, during your, your walk, uh, during your, your, your Christian life, uh, if you need the prayers of this congregation, there's no better time than to ask now in front of your brothers and sisters who are here uh, ready to uh, pray for you and to strengthen you and encourage you uh, in this life. Or maybe you're here this evening and maybe you have not become a child of God. Uh, maybe uh, you've been studying and, and you've come to the conclusion that uh, to become a child of God, the Bible says that we must hear the word of God and believe that Jesus is the son of God, and repent of our sins, uh, confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to the church, uh, his church, and we live a faithful life for him. We know that uh, we are, uh, we would, the, the body here would be very encouraged to help you um, and to, again, encourage you uh, to begin that walk here this uh, evening. And so if, if we can help you in any way, we'd love for you to make those things known as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.